Today's first scripture reading is from Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Luke chapter 17, verses 20 through 21. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we are continuing to journey with Jesus, learning about the way that he left us uh, to go. And, and uh, from all the feedback I've heard, people have been really enjoying the, the book and the Sunday school and the sermons and all sort of tying together. And I think it's kind of had a cool energy about it. Uh, so thanks, everybody who's participating and uh, um, let's keep going. The first week we looked at Jesus uh, being baptized in the Jordan and then being tempted in the wilderness. And then last week we journeyed with him up to Galilee, uh, to Capernaum, and to, uh, uh, to where he was from and, and talked about the healing ministry of Jesus. Today we journey with him to the mountains. And we're going to look at where Jesus often went to pray and teach, and we're going to consider what is probably his most important aspect of his teaching that we don't talk about near enough. Mountains in the ancient world was where you went to get closer to God. The understanding was, okay, the, the, where, everything we need that comes from the gods comes from up there, right? If there's no rain, we can't, there's no, there's no crops, we die, okay? The thunder, the lightning, that must be the gods fighting up there. So the understanding was always, you go up to the mountains to see God, okay? And if you go to sacrifice to God, you burn offerings so that the smoke wafts up to God. And where do you go to do that? The mountains, because you're closer to them there, okay? And Mount Zion was supposed to be the central mountain, okay? The mountain where Jerusalem was, where the temple was, that was where God was the closest. It was a symbol of vision, because when you go up to a mountain, you see far away, if you've been in the mountains or on mountains, you have this sense of grandeur, right? This sense of kind of wonder and awe. You realize how small you are and how big the world is there. Um, many Old Testament characters went up to the mountain to meet God and get directions. Mountains are also important practically because if you're going to talk to a group of people, okay, and you're in the first century, there are no sound systems. Okay, there's no sound systems. So how do you speak to groups? And we know Jesus spoke to groups where there were four, 5,000 people. How do you do that? Well, you better find a place with really good acoustics. Okay? That's why he preaches at the Sea of Galilee a lot, because it's kind of bowl-shaped. And so people could stand on the hill, and he could, he could say things to them, and it would echo it. And he goes to the mountain for the same reason. Mountains are sort of nat uh, natural grandstands, where he might be able to stand up on a rock and project and speak to people. Much of Jesus' teaching happens on mountains, including his famous Sermon on the Mount. And so what I want to do today is just look at the teaching ministry of Jesus. Now, if I were to ask you what the message of Jesus was, what was the message of Jesus? I might get a lot of different answers about love, about grace, about, could be a lot of things. But when Mark 
has to summarize the teachings of Jesus. What he says is the kingdom of God. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. I don't think kingdom of God would probably be on most of our lists, right? I don't think when we were thinking about, if I had to summarize Jesus' teaching, I would say kingdom of God, okay? Maybe it's because we don't live in a kingdom, so that language is difficult for us. Even kingdoms that we have in this world um, are not normally ruled by kings, right? Kings are figureheads. Queens are figureheads anymore. Um, Maybe if Jesus was around today, he might talk about the governance of God or the administration of God. But see, even those don't quite fit the historical context, okay? In the ancient world, kings ruled, okay? They ruled. What they said went. They had an important function in bringing people together because, okay, we're a group of people generally, right? So how do we get along? Well, what, we're, what God are we going to worship? Well, the question is, what God does the king worship? Let's start there. And who's going to be our allies and who's going to be our enemies? Well, the king is going to do that, right? The king is going to decide who's going to be close and who is not going to be close. Kings had, kings had complete rule. They had total care of the land. They had to protect the, the people and build the kingdom. Okay? So when we say the kingdom of God, what we mean is, That God rules. That God is king. The lordship of God. It means that God is king not just of heaven, but of every part of the earth. This phrase is the kingdom of God is not used in the Old Testament, but it is a major theme in the Old Testament. God is often described as king. Psalm 103.19 says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Psalm 14 tells us, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. The Old Testament insists that even though this world is dark and this world can be cruel and we can have pain in this world, maybe it doesn't seem like God is ruling, but God is at work. And that someday... Someday God would come and his reign would be complete and without resistance. That someday God is going to rule heaven uh, on earth. He is going to rule it all. The prophets talked about this some as the day of the Lord. When God would come and judge all of humanity and make things right. I am sure King David uh, was, was part of their sense of what that might be. King David, this powerful king, this warrior king. The prophets predicted that one from the line and lineage of David would come, a Messiah and Savior that would bring God's rule to the earth. Okay, In the Jewish understanding, it was never about getting to heaven. It was always about heaven coming here. It was always about God's rule being in this place. And in the Old Testament, this kingdom had several features. First of all, in the Old Testament, it's really geographically located. Okay, The place where the kingdom was going to be was Israel. Because it was the Temple Mount, and it, it, was, it was the Mount Zion. That was going to be the mountain, and the temple was going to be the place. So our hope was that that would be where the kingdom would come. Second, the prophets emphasized that there would be a great day of the Lord, and they understood that to be a day of judgment, okay, where God was going to come, and he was going to punish all of 
the real kingdom's enemies. And the prophets warned, I'm not sure that it's a good day. Okay, they, they had kind of a sense that I'm not sure you should be too excited for the day of the Lord when we all have to be judged by God. Third, participation in the reign of God, in the kingdom of God, meant being part of the Jews. They were the ones that worshipped the one true God who was to rule. So being part of his reign required them to be part of his people. And fourth, it was a future hope. It was coming someday. Someday the Messiah would come. Someday the rule of God would come through Israel to the whole world. So the important thing to see in the Old Testament is the importance of the kingdom coming. I mean, if the, if the one true God is the one true God, then he's got to be the God. Okay? And eventually he's got to be the God of everything. He could not just simply sit back and let the world happen. There were promises called covenants that had to be kept. Even though the phrase, the kingdom of God, is never used in the Old Testament, I think it's all over the place. The first person that we have recorded using that phrase is John the Baptist. And then Mark gives it to us as the overview of Jesus' speaking. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of his God is at hand. Repent and believe. The time has come. The waiting is over. The time is now here. This kingdom is breaking in. Now, if you go back and look at uh, the Gospels later this week, and I hope you do to read to see if I'm actually making stuff up or what you think about it for yourself, right? What you'll find is that Matthew does not use the phrase kingdom of God. He uses the phrase kingdom of heaven, okay? And that's really simply because he was Jewish. And in the Jewish faith, you did not want to use the Lord's name in vain. So most of the time, you did not use the Lord's name at all, just in case, okay? So the Jewish tradition was to avoid using God's name at all time. And so it was very common in Jewish teaching to replace God with heaven, kind of the throne room of God, if you will. And uh, so it seems pretty clear, especially because Matthew has some of the same stories the other Gospels have, and he really clearly just crosses out God and puts heaven in because that way he didn't offend his Jewish audience. But it means the same thing. It does not mean, when he says kingdom of heaven, it doesn't mean heaven like a far-off place. Again, he's coming out of this mindset that the far-off place is coming here, and the rule is going to be here. So the thrust of the message of Jesus, according to Mark, is the kingdom of God. Matthew calls it the kingdom of heaven. And his message gives an even deeper meaning to the kingdom concept in the Old Testament. Remember, the kingdom in the Old Testament was very geographically oriented. But Jesus comes along, and he's not that geographically oriented. Okay, It's not real political. It's actually based on a person, himself, who is God. And that God goes to Samaria. And he talks to people from other countries, right? And he, and he has a different kind of world. That This is not the nationalistic geographical kingdom you're thinking about. Second, Jesus comes along and says, okay, there is judgment. We separate sheep from goats. But at the same time, Jesus says there's, there's grace. There's something else besides judgment that gets to come. See, part of what's happening is Jesus is taking on the judgment. Okay, so the judgment of the day of the Lord, he cakes upon himself. Their participation in the kingdom, and this takes a while for the people to understand, and the Apostle Paul is really important in this, is not about being Jewish. Okay? And we see that with Jesus, that lepers are in, Samaritans are in, all these different people that could never be Jewish, 
could never go into the temple, Jesus brings the kingdom to them too. Now, it is in part a political claim because if Jesus is Lord, it means Caesar is not Lord. Okay? And the claim in those days was you were supposed to say Caesar is Lord. Okay? And Caesar had actually claimed himself to be God. And the, the Jews and then the Christians say, huh, no, 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 there's one true God. And the Christians come along and say, Jesus is Lord. The biggest distinction Jesus makes about the kingdom in the Old Testament is the claim that the kingdom is not just coming, it's here. Okay? That's the big move that Jesus makes. That's the biggest move. The kingdom is at hand. Yes, it's a future hope and there's more coming. But it's already here. And it's slowly working its way in. It is definite. It is imminent. The gears are already in motion and nothing's going to stop it. And it's already here in his people. Now, this sounds a little bit paradoxical to us, right? How can it be here and not here? How can it be now and not yet? But one of the things Jesus says over and over again is this kingdom is paradoxical to you and I. It doesn't work like the kingdom that we're used to. It's upside down because it does not work like the kingdom of this world. What does Jesus say? The strong are weak. The last shall be first. To save our lives, we lose them. To live, we die. To receive, we give. Small things make for big things. See, the kingdom is upside down to the way we are used to thinking. In fact, it's such a different kind of, king, thinking, of kingdom and a different way of thinking that Jesus has, has uh, to work to teach it to us. Okay, He can't just do a PowerPoint and say, here's how the kingdom is and here's what. What he has to do is he has to say, let me tell you what the kingdom of God is like. And he's got to tell a story, right? Or he's got to give a metaphor. He's got to say, well, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed which starts small and grows large and provides shelter. It's like a pearl hidden in a field. Not everyone understands its value, but when you do, you sacrifice everything to get it. The kingdom of God is like a banquet where all kinds of people are invited. The kingdom is like workers in a field where even the workers who show up late get the same wages. That everybody gets the same in this kingdom. The kingdom is like a person sowing seeds. God spreads the news of the kingdom, but only some hearts are good soils where it would take up root and grow. The kingdom is like a small amount of yeast that leavens a whole dough. There's power, a little bit of power that can make a huge, huge difference. When Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, what does he tell them to say? You already prayed it. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Every time you pray, you remind yourself what kingdom you're actually a part of. Okay? Every time we do the Lord's Prayer, we remind ourselves what the kingdom is really like and what is really important. Because any kingdom has expectations, right? If you're a citizen of a nation, you got to know certain things, you got to do certain things. There's certain expectations if you want to be a citizen, right? And God's kingdom is the same way. Okay? If you're going to be a citizen of God's kingdom, there's certain things that you're supposed to do. It requires us to live differently. For Jesus, it means repent and believe. That's where it starts. To repent is to relent, to change direction, to change the way you think. Jesus calls us to repent of the world and our sin and instead believe in the good news of his coming, dying, and rising again. 
Part of that belief also means believing in the eventual, uninhibited, and total reign of God. That someday there will be judgment, and that the kingdoms of heaven and earth will be one. Listen to how John describes it in Revelation 11. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Right? And, and all you musicians out there all of a sudden start thinking, And he shall reign forever. Right? What's the revelation saying? Someday, someday a trumpet's going to sound and the kingdom of heaven is going to be this earth and forever God's reign will be without resistance, totally uninhibited. Part of believing is believing that that's going to happen one day because we're the people that live that out today. So we believe that the kingdom of God is inaugurated and someday will be without opposition. Until then, we're salt, we're light, we're living in this other kingdom but we know our citizenship is elsewhere. And one of the most famous passages of the gospel, Jesus is preaching what's called the Sermon on the Mount, and he gives us the Beatitudes. If you ever notice, the Beatitudes don't actually have two T's like attitudes should. It's because it's not the word attitudes. It's actually based on the Greek word, um, which means blessing. That's that word, blessed are the, blessed are the. Okay? And Jesus said, you want to know who's blessed in this world? You want to know what the kingdom's like? The poor in spirit are the poor. They're blessed because the kingdom of heaven's theirs. You mourn. When you mourn, you're blessed because you'll be comforted. When you're meek, you're blessed and will inherit the earth. It's great for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they'll get filled. If you're merciful, you receive mercy. When people persecute you, lie about you, and insult you, then you're really blessed because you get the kingdom. You understand how crazy that sounds, right? Did anybody catch that? You know what's a really great thing? When you mourn, okay? Nobody says that. You know what's great? It's awesome when people persecute you. They lie about you, slander about you, insult you. How how many of you feel great when people do that to you? Okay? Why? Because in the coming kingdom, that's all going to be fixed. It's all going to be restored. And it's going to be all the better because we're going to look at God and say, praise God. God, that that morning that I went through was healed. In fact, not just healed, but you actually, that God brings good out of those things. And someday we're going to know the good that came out of our pain, and it's going to be healed. All our weaknesses, all our tears, all our neediness, those are going to be blessings because we're going to see them answered and soothed. So what we need to do is sacrifice to our king. Make our Lord our priority. We listen to our king, even when he tells us to do some crazy stuff. Okay? We submit. And if you trust your king, Jesus says in Matthew 6, in that Sermon on the Mount, that you shouldn't be anxious. He says, don't be anxious about your life. Saying, what will you eat? Let me read a couple verses. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Listen, whenever you're anxious, it's a sign you're living out of the wrong kingdom. 
Okay? Because the king of this kingdom, he clothes the flowers in beauty. And he provides for the birds of the air. I think he's got you. Right? I think he's got you. I think he'll take care of you. I think he knows what you need and he'll give it to you. And if you're really anxious all the time, it's probably a sign you're living a little too much out of the wrong kingdom. Okay? It's a nice little indicator for you. Because when you trust your king, you don't have to worry. When you trust your king, you don't have to worry. This is the trouble Christians have always had. Can we ultimately trust and make Jesus our Lord? It's one thing to have a Savior. I like a Savior. Okay? But I have to submit to a Lord. Okay? I've got to live my life different if he's a king. But that's what the kingdom of God is all about. And what does Jesus say in Luke 17? He says, the kingdom of God is within you. Okay? Now, some translations say among you. The translations that translation we had said something different. Um, and, and the sense was, you know where the kingdom of God is? It's, it's among you because Jesus is saying, I'm here. And I'm among you and I'm walking with you. But I like the old translation, the idea that the kingdom of God is somehow within you. Because that's where the kingdom really starts. The kingdom starts with the rule and reign of God in your hearts and mind. That's where the kingdom starts. And the kingdom is in this world because it's in our hearts. It's time for us to submit. It's time for us to trust our king and live out of that kingdom. Let us pray. Lord, you are our king. We confess that too often we, we live out of the wrong citizenship. Too often, we, too often we live as if the world is most important and we get anxious. Or sometimes worse, we hijack you and we put your name on the things that we want to care about. As if you would be the lord of our political party. Or you would be the Lord of our point of view. Lord, help us to submit to your rule and let you be king. Help us as a church to let your rule reign in our hearts. May your kingdom come and your will be done. Amen.